make leadership about the other person. Don't make it about you. There's no one size fits all model anymore. The onus is on you to learn about your employees. Don't think like a basketball player. Think like a coach. You're not supposed to be on the court. You're not supposed to be playing ball. You're supposed to be making sure that everybody on your team is able to play ball at the highest possible level and you've removed every obstacle from their path to achieve individual greatness, which can then harmonize into team greatness. Welcome to episode number five of the Jimmy Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Johnson. This podcast exists to help millennials and Gen Z grow in their leadership competence so that you can lead with confidence. On today's show, I'm chatting with Hamza Khan. He's a best-selling author and global keynote speaker whose TEDx talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading, has been viewed nearly 2 million times. He's a top-ranked university educator and respected thought leader whose insights have been featured by notable media outlets such as Vice, Business Insider, and The Globe and Mail. Hamza is trusted by the world's preeminent organizations to enhance human potential and optimize performance. His clients include the likes of Microsoft, PepsiCo, LinkedIn, Deloitte, Salesforce, TikTok, and over 100 colleges and universities. As the co-founder of SkillsCamp, a leading soft skills training company, Hamza is on a mission to empower organizations to thrive in the future of work. From Fortune 500 boardrooms to international conferences, Hamza regularly shares actionable insights on the topics of leadership, resilience, and productivity. Let's welcome Hamza Khan to the Jimmy Johnson Leadership Podcast. Hamza, welcome to the podcast. An honor to be here with you. It's a pleasure, man. And I first came across your work when I saw your TED Talk, which is nearly at 2 million views at this point. I actually took a look at it this morning. I was listening to it on my ride in uh, to the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm excited to have you to... uh, you know, chime in on leadership. Sure. Um, let's first start with your career journey. Okay. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, it was um, it was a lot of trial and error, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> and I think if I could sum it up in in one phrase or one idea, it would be this: you can't always make the right decision, but you can make a decision and then make it right. So much of my career was about indecision, being met with frustration, and then just picking a direction, and then moving in that direction, and then iterating as I went. So when I look back, there's no rhyme or reason. At first glance, that brought me to where I am right now recording this podcast with you. I started out, one of my earliest career experiences was actually as a reservist in the Canadian Armed Forces. And um, you know, I did that, and I quickly jumped from that style of authoritarian theory X uh, style of leadership to a very laissez-faire, complete opposite theory Y style of leadership when I worked at the University of Toronto Scarborough. So within, within one or two years, I was able to see a full spectrum of the ways in which people can be led or managed, depending on how you look at it. Then that opened up my perspective to then join Sony Music Entertainment as a intern early in my career, where I got to see not only how the industry not only how the company transformed overnight, but how the industry around it also mm-hmm. transformed. And um, I was able to take from that experience at Sony how leadership avoidance, uh, you know, direct or indirect, uh, intentional or unintentional, can affect the people in the organization and the overall success of it. And so I took that wisdom back with me to the university and said, wow, we have to change before it's too late. The way that we're marketing and communicating to students is ineffective, uh, and it will continue to become more ineffective if we persist in the way that we're currently doing things. 
So I was part of a team uh, to lead the change to digitize a lot of the ways in which we were communicating with students, adopting early social media. And that really then inspired me to join the startup world, come back into the education space at Ryerson, where we were able to do some really pioneering work in terms of building online community for students. The success of building some blueprints there at Ryerson then gave my co-founder and I, Kareem, uh, the confidence to start a company called Splash Effect, a uh, boutique marketing agency that primarily worked with colleges and universities, first in the in Canada, but then across the world, especially in the States. We had some some success there as well. Uh, and then that put the wind in our sails to start our second company, Skills Camp, a soft skills training company, which mm -hmm. I own and we're operating till this date. And through that journey of you know marketing, communication, working in the education space, that was almost like a... Uh, you know, it allowed for me to go through the metamorphosis, to go from my ideas about management and leadership as a caterpillar to hopefully emerge into something of a bit of a butterfly in terms of thought leadership, where I have the privilege of writing books, speaking to different audiences around the world, doing interviews like this to share this idea of human-centric leadership, change-friendly leadership, values-driven and self-disrupting leadership. And uh, I feel a real strong sense of urgency to convey this message. And it takes me all the way back to when I started out in my career, working with the Canadian Armed Forces, working at the University of Toronto Scarborough, and then seeing that first case study of Sony Music Entertainment, I'm able to draw on all of the lessons experienced early in my career and apply them now to uh, different organizations that I'm consulting with and working with. So all of that's to say, everything that I've done and continue to do is intently focused on preparing leaders and teams to thrive in the future of work, to get out of survival mode and to focus on thriving. That's so good. And um, I love that you're being proactive rather than reactive. Yes. You know, a lot of leadership um, as of late, you've seen it, you know, and, you know, and following the pandemic where people are reacting to what's happening around us, where you're saying, hey, we need to be proactive in our approach to leadership, how we lead people rather than managing. Um, I, I love the story how you quit your job uh, <laughs> because you're being managed. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I would love for you to share that because it's like you turn your pain into purpose. So share a little bit about that experience and what you gleaned from that. In essence, it was this. I was working at a startup in between my time at the University of Toronto Scarborough and when I worked at Ryerson. In between, I worked for the startup that, um, you know, it seemed like a good opportunity at the time, but I learned very quickly that this was an organization in which micromanagement was the strategy du jour. Uh, it was a bunch of people who came from traditional corporate environments who believed that, uh, you know, the higher up you go as a leader, the less you do. And that's true to a certain extent. But um, I didn't understand the uh, um, the complete asymmetry in terms of the compensation structure in the organization where the executives were making inordinate sums of money to do virtually nothing. The actual performance, mm -hmm. the actual work being done wasn't evaluated with as much scrutiny, nearly as much scrutiny as whether or not you showed up on time at 9 a.m., uh, whether you stayed after hours, whether you got things done by a certain amount of time, whether you responded to clients in a certain way. And so much of it, again, was about the performance of work versus actually doing work that was focused on the user experience. And so I got frustrated one day and I said, what would happen if I just played by their rules over here? If instead of obsessing over the thing that we should be obsessing about, which is the customer, the end user. What if I just started, mm -hmm. you know, playing by these, these arbitrary rules about showing up at 9am and I did just that. And for the time that I was showing up on time and leaving after a certain period of time where my boss could get the sense that, Hey, you know what? You look like you're productive. 
I did pretty much nothing. I watched movies all day and Mm -hmm. it worked in my favor. People thought that I was a team player, that I was proactive. Again, the optics were working in my favor, but it really just went to illustrate what we're seeing right now, this tension of you can be working in the office and not be productive. And you could be working from home where the perception is you won't be as productive. But the truth is people have been just as productive, if not more productive, working from home during the pandemic. So all of this is to say, you know, I got frustrated with the avoidant leadership that uh, was at that organization. And after my two week experiment, I just ended up leaving. It didn't feel like a good, uh, good fit for me. Yeah, I was actually reading an article from Business Insider, and maybe I can share it with you uh, via email, where uh, millennials, they seemed uh, more inclined to want to work from home. But Gen Z, uh, because they're recently out of school, haven't really established relationships with people, are more inclined to want to be working in the office right. to you know garner those relationships. And I just find it interesting, uh, the dichotomy between these two uh, groups. Right. And so... Uh, it was just, it's just fascinating because I was like, I want to work from home, but sure. I, I also see the other side of the coin or where some are saying, Hey, I want to work in the office. So an overcorrection that's fascinating in itself. Like we do need to move to a world in which we've reduced the insistence on being in the office for the sake of being in the office and some of the more fear-based strategies or tactics being used by managers. And I'm, I'm reluctant to use the word leader because I feel like it's the sort of you would be a manager if you forced people to come back into the office and didn't provide them with a rationale for doing so. And there's some very good reasons to come back to the office, but I don't mm-hmm. think that fear and that's the way things have always been done should be the reason why people come back. But with that being said, I'm excited that Gen Z is feeling this desire, this inclination to go back into the office, to experience the socializing benefits, the serendipitous uh, meetings and the brainstorming advantages and the relationship building that can come from being in an office, provided though yeah. that the leaders create a culture in which they feel uh, um, free to do so and not afraid to do so. You know, to piggyback off of culture, something that you talk about in your book are the four values. You use the acronym SIDE, mm-hmm. servitude, innovation, diversity, and empathy. Can you kind of help me unpack that and how that plays into, you know, creating a culture where people can thrive? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing some some writing about this right now. I'm working on a, a couple of chapters for the organizational uh, behavior textbook that Pearson publishes every year. Probably the most Uh, popular textbook being used in colleges and universities across the world. So it's a real honor to to contribute to this textbook. And uh, I'm right now coming across, uh, forgive me if I don't remember this off the top of my head, I think it's like the situation strength theory, which is that during times of adversity, during times of crisis, you don't actually rise to the occasion. You actually sink to the level of your value, training, and preparedness. So when you think back to the decisions that were made by you as a, as a listener, you know, you as Jimmy, the host, me as Hamza, anybody really, but especially leaders during the early stages of the pandemic, the fear months, who we were was a direct reflection of how we behaved during that time. So if our reaction was fight, that's who we really were as leaders or as people. If we froze, that's who we really were as leader or as people. If we fawned or whatever our reaction was, that was the most most authentic reflection of who we were. A time of complete volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity really revealed our true colors. So with that being said, the, the, the model that I'm advocating in Leadership Reinvented, my most recent book, is that if our world is only going to become more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, how can we 
upgrade or enhance or even overhaul our default program so that we'll react more appropriately when the crisis comes. And make no mistake about it, another crisis will happen. We are trending in this direction. Yes. COVID-19 today, monkeypox already, you know, triple black swan event of a war, a recession, a plague. Who knows what else our future has in store? Climate change, you name it. So rather than being blindsided and reverting to selfish, avoidant behavior, authoritarian, aggressive, just counterproductive workplace behavior, why not upgrade who we are at our core level so that we can seemingly rise to the occasion when the rest of the world falls back? And there's four values in particular, Jimmy, that you alluded to, servitude, innovation, diversity, and empathy, that I think compose the most change-friendly array of values that a leader can uh, exhibit. Servitude, this is the uh, ability to put the needs of others before yourself. Uh, innovation, which is the ability to imagine new scenarios, to envision a full spectrum of possibilities. Diversity, this is recognizing that the diversity of background experiences and perspectives that are necessary to anticipating change and reacting when change happens, uh, they're positively correlated with diversity of people. And then empathy, it's my favorite of the, of the four, which is the ability to stand in somebody else's shoes, see with their eyes and feel with their heart, to take another person's perspective. Those four values are difficult, if not impossible, to distill down into simple binary code ones and zeros. And I believe that they are what the leadership apparatus needs at every level, government, nonprofit, and especially business. That's good. And um, another acronym that you uh, came up with or someone helped you come up with was uh, Yuka, right? And it's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, right? right. Yeah. It sounds it sounds cute, doesn't it? Right, VUCA. It sounds like uh, cute and cuddly, like like like. Yeah, VUCA. I said yuca. I was thinking <laughs> of the uh, vegetable there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the vegetable works, and you know, you could imagine like a, some sort of like Teletubby, fifth member of the Teletubby, but it's chaos personified, yeah. and and there's different ways to describe the same entity. Um, PWC uses adapt. I think it's asymmetry, disruption, aging systems, uh, polarization, and trust. I've also heard Bani, B-A-N-I, that's brittle, anxious, non-linear, and incomprehensible. And there's VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. These are undeniable characteristics of our ever-changing world, a world in which the only constant seems right. to be constant change. It helps to think of these elements as adjacent to the scientific concept of entropy, which explains how if left unchecked, disorder and randomness tend to increase over time. So if a leader is engaged knowingly or unknowingly in avoidance, they can be assured that the circumstances won't get any better. It's essentially a law of the universe, Jimmy, that they'll only get worse. Chaos, which is really what this is, is hungry for failing organizations and it thrives when leaders are unprepared. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have like brought this to the forefront and you really challenged the status quo when you first presented your TED talk. Mm. And I would love for you to share some of the resistance or some of the feedback that you got about the way that we approach leadership and, and some takeaways, whether it was something that you didn't even think about or, or really even maybe a change of heart, or do you still kind of stand your ground on your initial thoughts? Yeah. Wow. Um, I was such a different person when I delivered that TED talk, but the truth from which that message emanated is, is still consistent to this day, but the application was very disoriented. I, I have a tough time watching that TED talk because I was so young. I was, you know, I would go as far as saying that I was naive. Sorry. 
a little prideful, would you say? I would say I would say a little prideful. I definitely yeah. had a chip on my shoulder, but I needed to express that sentiment strongly because I couldn't verbalize just how frustrating it was to be in an environment where I was being micromanaged to the extent that I was. And again, I had the, in hindsight, the advantage of seeing the worst case scenario here. Again, I was in, yeah. in the Canadian Armed Forces where individuality was stamped out. You couldn't be an individual. You had to just give in to the system. You had to, micromanagement was part right. of, of the experience. And then I got to see the promised land, which is what could happen if you were activated, if your individuality and creativity and ability to express freely was valued and incentivized. So again, I had this really profound sense that something was broken with the way that we were mismanaging at the time. And the way I communicated that was in a very emphatic, emotional way through that TED Talk. Now, the natural reaction, Jimmy, was people were pissed. So you and I, our generation, <laughs> Gen, Gen Y, we were like, yes, you go, Hamza. Like, I need Right on. Right on. That's a sentiment yeah. that uh, we needed expressed. So thank you for putting that in words. Thank you for running over the hill and saying, hey, there's a better way to do this. But the older generation, man, they were pissed. My boss literally summoned me to the office the next day and was like, hey, uh, mm. in, in so many words, what you did uh, was disappointing and I need you to go on an apology tour within the institution. And I was just like, wow, this can't be happening. And I was so afraid and I gave into the fear. I didn't apologize. I didn't go on the apology tour, but it messed with my confidence for a very long time in a way that I almost distanced myself from that message because I felt like, Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was on the wrong side of history. Maybe there is something to micromanagement. Maybe there is something to office centricity. And, you know, maybe I'm just, a, to use a, a tired term, maybe I'm just a snowflake. And then the pandemic happened. Mm. And uh, wow, I don't have to say anything right now. I mean, everybody feels this. You can see with the popularity of movements around the world, they have the involution movement happening in China. You can see the Reddit anti-work subreddit is just ballooning up. Uh, it's impossible to go on Twitter or any social media today, seeing people express that who they were before the pandemic has completely changed. We're not the same people that were told to go right. work from home. Our value system has changed. And um, if anything today, Jimmy, I believe so much more in the message, maybe more than I even did back then. And the idea is this, uh, treat people well, treat people from a place of compassion, love, um, and really center the human experience in, in all of this. That's so good. And um, one thing that I want you to dive into, and we talked about this before we started recording, was um, the story that you tell in your book about your father's health scare right? and how that changed your perspective on leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this goes back to something that uh, I talked about maybe just a couple of minutes ago, but that was terrifying for me. Um, you know, my father felt the stress uh, and the anxiety of, of being in the early days of the pandemic, the fear months, where he had to contend with the possibility that he might not be able to provide for his family for the first time in his career. Um, because the world around him had changed, no matter how prepared he felt for change, the world had changed to such a degree that he couldn't wrap his head around. And so, yeah. um, you know, the fatigue, the anxiety, the all the, the adverse psychological effects that come from that level of transition and change, uh, got to him and uh, he suffered a seizure one night. Thank God I was home, able to rush in and see to it that he was able to emerge from that seizure. But I had a true out-of-body experience when that happened. I experienced a very classic amygdala hijack where the part of your brain responsible for 
complex planning and creative thought, your prefrontal cortex, blood is flushed away from that, sent to your extremities, prepared for some sort of primal response, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And the amygdala, the primitive part of your brain, lizard brain, takes over and just puts you into survival mode. And in that moment, as I ran into the kitchen to see my dad laying on the floor going through that, holy, I was able to visualize in maybe just a matter of a millisecond my entire life experiences with my father. And somehow, unbeknownst to me, I was able to, in that state, um, administer sort of like ways of holding my dad and preparing to practice CPR on him, where I couldn't tell you right now, Jimmy, what that process looks like. It's actually unknown to me. But I was able to activate a part of my brain, activate a part of my knowledge base that I had uh, really obsessed about when I was in the Canadian Armed Forces, learning first aid and learning survival skills. I was able to tap into that. Like the survival part of me shelved that and stored it away for another time where I would need it, specifically crisis. So how does that tie back into leadership? It really inspired the thought around leadership reinvented or within leadership reinvented about the bright side of leadership that if this is what it's like to go through a crisis where you're acting in a very subconscious way, how can you guarantee that you will make as right of a decision when you're in that state? And I think that you have to, as I learned CPR and, and basic first aid that was able to help my dad in that setting, what if leaders were able to practice and fundamentally change their value systems and uh, their beliefs about humans in the workplace, such that if there's a crisis, when there's a crisis, I should say, they'll do the right thing. Yeah, that's good, and I'm I'm grateful that your your father is you know doing well, and so um, you know another thing that kind of ties to you know how you know leaders process these kind of things is the life cycle of an organization, right? Right. right. And so. When you think about the life cycle of an organization, which you have here, it's introduction, growth, maturity, renewal, or decline. Exactly. I would say uh, the pandemic would probably be on that fourth layer of yep. renewal or decline, depending yeah. on how you look at it. Absolutely. So kind of walk us through this and, and can you share with us how you know uh, each one plays a factor in how an organization functions and, and what each layer means? Every organization goes through the same uh, stage stages in their evolution like they're introduced so this is you know when you announce on instagram started my company and you get this surge of attention great you know your friends right. your family fools they all come and they're like let's do business together and then you have to quickly figure out the business model if you haven't already and then you grow and then you mature eventually when you've exhausted all of the sort of flashy strategies in the beginning you have to run a business uh, you have to generate a yeah. profit. You have to create something that's scalable, repeatable, measurable, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, you mature because the world around you has changed. More competitors are in the market. Your realities, your intensities have changed. Um, your intensity as, as an entrepreneur has changed, so on and so forth as a leader. And then you're forced to make a decision. And every company has to make a decision. doesn't matter if you're a unicorn, if you're a Fortune 500 company, if you're a startup, if you're a nonprofit. You have to either renew yourself and start that exact same cycle again and if you don't make that decision, mm -hmm. the only other option is you tumble into the chasm of time. And and these days, my goodness, the average age of an S and P five hundred company in nineteen, I'm going to say nineteen fifty eight, so almost a full industrial revolution ago, was sixty six years. Companies could be around for as long as uh, you know some human beings, most human beings. But today, in twenty twenty two, geez, the average lifespan of an S and P five hundred company is eighteen years. 
some of the listeners and viewers yeah. of this podcast have pets that are going to live longer than the average company. That's wild when you think about it. And wow. this isn't unique to the it's S&P. Crazy. You see this on every index. You see this in the fortune list. You see this in um, you know, the, F, the, the FTSE 100. You see this in the Australian stock index, the Indian uh, stock exchange. Company lifespans are getting shorter and shorter. And that's because... <sighs> I just got to say it like our, our world is becoming more VUCA. It's becoming more, uh, uh, more volatile, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And I think leaders are making all the wrong decisions. They're becoming change avoidant. They're becoming aggressive. They're becoming authoritarian. Um, they're becoming selfish and they're behaving in ways that are bad for their employees, bad for the business, bad for the communities that they serve, bad for the planet. It's very short-sighted, unfortunately. And I love how in the book, you know, kind of right coming out of this um, chapter, you you talk about uh, different companies and how they reacted to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And one company you uh, kind of did a mini case study on was Zoom. Right. And you explained how, you know, they went through the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And, you know, obviously it would make sense that, you know, Zoom would was yeah, you know, yeah, rightfully well uh, situated to win, well positioned to win in the pandemic, but there was something that kind of threw them a wrench. So yeah. kind of walk us through that. Yeah, there's this harmful idea that's out there right now, and it's popularized, unfortunately, by some very prominent people who I understand their worldview. Jocko Willink is one of them, and he wrote this book called The Dichotomy of Leadership, which is a good book. But you have to understand Jocko Willink comes from a zero-sum background. He used to be an ex-Navy SEAL, so he's in environments where you know, the consequences of uh, the organization failure are life and death. But we're talking about running businesses here. Like nobody's dying and we're not really competing in, in sort of like a bloodbath, uh, you know, gladiatorial arena here. And the idea that he's popularized that what's good for the mission comes at the expense of what's good for the people. And what's good for the people comes at the expense of what's good for the mission. And I believe that's a fundamentally Taylorist worldview. That's a, that's a worldview rooted in a strong military context. And it's actually wrong. What's good for the people is actually good for the business. And there's some really compelling evidence that this is the case. And I could rattle off stats all day, but my favorite case study is the Zoom case study. So Eric Yuan, CEO of Zoom, the company within the first three months of the pandemic corners 50% of the market. Which is wild when you think about it. Market leader overnight. Yeah. And rather than exploiting Impressive. that dominance, what he does is he makes the product free to educators around the world. And in doing so, forfeits a massive opportunity. Now, when asked about this, his response to why he did this was uh, it was the right thing to do. And this, this re- response is hardly surprising when you consider Zoom's origin story. So he used to work at WebEx. And he was frustrated because this company wasn't innovating quickly enough and responding to customer needs in a very human-centric way. So he said, if they're not going to change, I need to build something to solve this need. I need to build a more user-centric platform. But in order to build a user-centric platform, he had to build a uh, customer-centric company. Uh, Sorry, an an employee-centric company. And he did so by making one of their core values at Zoom caring. And when you think about that, like, wow, you can can imagine that a a company's, one of their core values would be persistence, tenacity, uh, agility, you know, you know, uh, some sort of technical skill, but caring, like, how does that actually help us? Well, look at Zoom, right? right? It's emblazoned all over their walls. The word caring, it's a refrain used in every corporate meeting. Every decision that they make is always focused on improving the life and the experience of the end user. 
And the proof is in the product itself. I mean, when I use Zoom as somebody who does a lot of virtual engagements, I get so happy because I know it's going to be pain, painless. It's going to be uh, such a delight to use versus some of the other platforms out there that are very clunky. They don't offer the same level of support or innovation. Um, Zoom is such a such a fun product to use because it's people like you and I who are self-actualized, who are cared for at every level of the organization, making caring decisions for the end user. And that's why they've been able to maintain their dominance to this day, I believe. Yeah, and they also had a crisis on their hands amidst the crisis where yep. they had issues with, you know, privacy, the security, security of the, yeah. the privacy issues and yet were able to come up with a strategy to fix it coming out up front, basically saying, Hey, we messed up, yep. but we're going to work to rectify the problem. And, and any other uh, company would have this, danced around it. Any other company would have said, uh, we don't even have to respond to this because we're the market leader. I mean, there's an example right here at home in Toronto where I'm at right now, where a major telecom company had an outage that caused uh, massive disruptions and they're still skirting around the issue. They're not talking about it with, from a place of transparency. They're not talking about it from a place of care. I can only imagine how Zoom would have responded. Zoom would have done exactly what you said, Jimmy, what they've consistently done and said, we messed up. You hear it directly from the CEO themselves. They explain in great detail what went wrong and how they're working to rectify it and then actually following through on that. Yeah. A, a good case study for a lot of uh, business leaders to Absolutely. You know, read and you can do well by doing evaluate good. thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. So Hamza, tell us, um, well, before we go, this segment of the podcast is called the big three, right? Right. And so I want to know from you, what are three leadership lessons you've learned or habits you've formed that can help younger leaders level up in their leadership? The first one would be to over communicate. And trust me, you need to do this. And especially if you're introverted, like I am, uh, George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So over communicate. One of the most helpful things that I found early in my career, especially as a young leader, is um, to tell your boss, to tell your your manager, your leader at the start of the week what you plan on getting done, and at the end of the week tell them what you got done. Those two emails mm. on Monday and on Friday, respectively, will save you uh, a lot of trouble. You'll be able to manage expectations, keep yourself accountable, and honestly, uh, you're going to find that your your relationship with your boss will be great because they're not going to be anxious about what you're working on and. Um, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to establish trust. And, and trust in the workplace is overwhelmingly established by saying you're going to do something and actually doing that. Everything else is like a nice to have, but that fundamental dynamic there, saying what you're going to do and then actually getting it done is essential to building trust. So that would be number one, over-communicate. Number two, I would say, don't be afraid to manage up. The rules of leadership are changing right now. You might feel like just because your Love boss it. is managing you, you can manage up. If you have questions, if you're lacking clarity in the work that needs to get done, if you don't have clear uh, details around if things are you know, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound, you can put the ball back into your leader's court. And you can say, okay, I'm excited to work on this, but can you please give me these details? Can you please tell me how this connects to the larger organizational strategy? Let's define my objectives and key results. Let's establish what my clear areas of responsibility are. Like You can, you can do that. So don't, don't feel like, um, you know, just because you've seen examples of what bosses and leaders are like in popular culture, that's the way it has to be for you. I promise you as somebody that's on the forefront of this as a thought leader around the future of work and leadership, the rules are changing and more and more leaders, especially our generation and younger Gen Y and Gen Z 
we are shifting into a mindset where leadership needs to be about the other person. You need to serve others. And my third point on that note would be make leadership about the other person. Don't make it about you. Um, there's no one size fits all model anymore. The onus is on you to learn about your employees and to remove obstacles from their path. Uh, don't think like a, uh, a basketball player, think like a coach. You're not supposed to be on the court. You're not supposed to be playing ball. You're supposed to be making sure that everybody on your team is able to play ball at the highest possible level. And you've removed every obstacle from their path to achieve individual greatness, which can then harmonize into team greatness. Your goal as a leader is to help your team win a championship, not to actually play ball. That's so good. I love those um, bits of advice for younger leaders. So Hamza, before we go, tell us how people can go about uh, connecting with you online. Yeah, man. And before I do that, let me just say thank you so much, Jimmy. Like this is uh, you've asked some great questions here. You've Pleasure. really because I can feel I can feel it in my body. I usually do a lot of podcasts where. I'm very calm and collected and I'm sort of like operating from up here in my head, but uh, I'm speaking from my chest today, man. Like you're, you, you got me hyped. That's you, good. Got, you got, you got me revisiting some, some stories some case studies, some ideas that I feel deeply passionate about. So, so kudos to you uh, for being such a great interviewer for Appreciate bringing it. me on the podcast, especially during this moment of transition where at the time of recording, you can clearly see behind me, I'm in my parents' home over here. I'm, <laughs> I'm homeless at the moment. I just moved out of my condo and, I'm in the process of relocating to the United States. Where can people find me and keep up with my adventures? Great question. My website is hamzakhan.ca. That's H-A-M-Z-A-K-H-A-N.ca. That's where you can learn about me, see the work that I'm doing. But if you want to get right to my social channels, hamzak.com. H-A-M-Z-A, H-A-M-Z-A for my fellow American listeners, k.com. Love it so much. And so make sure you guys check out Hamza's book, Leadership Reinvented. It's, uh, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Really good read. Once again, Hamza, thanks so much for your time and I'm grateful for you being on the podcast today. Jimmy, thank you so much. Appreciate this.